Hi, and welcome back to Unknown Friends with Rochelle Ferguson. I'm Rochelle, and you're listening to episode eight of my book review podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, you may also be interested in checking out my blog at www.kittywamproductions.com. I started blogging about uh, five years ago, so I've got, I think, nearly 200 posts in the archives now, and currently I'm blogging every few weeks. So there's a variety of content there, information about my play scripts and performances of my dramas, um, just personal life updates, uh, poems and short stories I've written, and lots more. Just last week in my latest blog post, I shared a poem that was maybe six years in the making, and I, I finally felt ready to share it and the story behind it. So anyway, if you're interested in more than just my book reviews, you can find my blog at kittywamproductions.com. Now on to today's book review. You already know I'm talking today about E.M. Forster's novel, A Room with a View. So let's start with a little background information. Forster was an English writer and he was born on New Year's Day in 1879 and he lived to be 91 so he died just 50 years ago in 1970 but interestingly his novels he published in the first half of his life he started pretty early as a novelist actually his first book was published in 1905 when he was just 26 and others followed quickly. In 1907, he published his second novel, and then in 1908 came the subject of today's episode, A Room with a View, which he had actually started back in 1901, um, before any of his other novels. He went on later to write Howard's End and eventually A Passage to India, which are probably his most famous works. So, A Room with a View. Let's talk plot and characters. Our heroine is the young Miss Lucy Honeychurch. There are some great names in this book. And Miss Honeychurch, uh, or Lucy, is on a tour of Italy with her cousin and chaperone, Miss Bartlett. The novel is divided into two parts, and the first follows Lucy in Italy while the second half shows her back home in England. But while in Italy, she and Miss Bartlett encounter several um, interesting people, but most importantly, the Emersons, young George Emerson and his father, who are also visiting Italy. The Emersons are kind of outside social norms, um, we today would call them respectable people, but a century ago, they broke various social conventions and in doing so made high society people uncomfortable. So while Lucy finds herself drawn to the Emersons in some ways, she and Miss Bartlett are also a little bewildered by the father and son and as they interact more, Lucy just becomes more confused about what she thinks of them. 
Anyway, things happen, which I'm not going to reveal. And then in part two, we jump back to England. Um, we've also skipped ahead a little bit in time, and we see Lucy with her family and also with her new fiance, an English aristocrat named Cecil Vise, whom she actually refused twice uh, before finally accepting. So then various events transpire in England. Lucy ends up being thrown back together with some of the people she and Miss Bartlett had been acquainted with in Italy, including George Emerson and his father. And I think anything more would qualify as spoilers. So I will leave you on that cliffhanger. Essentially, the, the question that remains then is, um, will Lucy figure herself out? And will she choose the way of strict social conventions or the free-spirited way? At least that's how um, Forster frames the question. So let me just say, for starters, this book was not what I expected it to be. I'm not entirely sure why my expectations were what they were, but A Room with a View definitely took me by surprise. I guess two things kind of set me up. One, there is a movie of this book, which I have not seen, but my sister did a couple years back, and she told me she thought it was very weird. Uh, she told me a few things about it, and of course, she wasn't saying that the book would necessarily be weird, but we just both had the impression that it was uh, a bizarre confusing kind of story. And in some ways it is a little odd, but I think I was expecting it to be weirder than it was and kind of um, dark weird, I guess. Anyway, then uh, the second thing that made me uh, misconstrue what I thought the book would be like was an association that developed in my own mind as I first started reading A Room with a View, several things in the story made me think of another classic novel from roughly the same time period, A Portrait of a Lady by Henry James, um, which is a great book. But anyway, the setup of the two books is similar. Both feature um, young women visiting Italy and getting sort of swept up by various new acquaintances. And the two also share some major uh, motifs or imagery, art and architecture, especially. Even in their titles, uh, you get that sense. Space, a confined space like a room versus wide open vistas or views are key metaphors in both books. And then also the metaphor of people as art to be either appreciated or appropriated. Ooh, I like that. That was almost profound. Appreciated or appropriated. I'm going to quote myself. Uh, sorry, I'm sure someone else has already said that. Anyway, back to the point. A Room with a View versus A Portrait of a Lady. James as a novel, A Portrait of a Lady, is very good, but it does have this sort of tragic 
trajectory in that the heroine goes from young and independent and full of life to being trapped and disappointed in life. Although there's so much more to it than that, and she is such a wonderful character. She learns so much. Anyway, I can't talk about James's novel right now, but as I began A Room with a View, its context reminded me of a portrait of a lady, and I think that's one thing that made me expect a similar kind of downfall for the heroine, a heavier story. But Forster's novel is actually quite light. It's somewhat comic, it's fairly quick-paced, and it just has a bright tone overall, with, of course, some more serious moments. So definitely a lighter read than I expected. Having finished it then, and having found it to be less dark, um, even less deep than I'd expected, it makes sense to me that Forster was as young as he was when he wrote it. Now, I'm generalizing here. I know people are fully capable of writing profoundly deep things in their 20s, um, and we have proof of that in history, but I'm only saying the book felt to me like the work of a young writer, a writer who would become highly respected and write famous classic novels, but I, I guess this is his young classic, if that makes sense. And side note, I've not read his later novels, but I have the impression from what I've heard and read that they are a little deeper, a little more serious. So I'm certainly not trying to characterize Forster as an author just based on this one book. But back to A Room with a View. I mentioned it's fairly quick-paced, and I even found it a little tricky to follow sometimes. To my mind, it seemed to jump around a bit more than necessary, but that might have been partially my own confusion as I was figuring out what the book was actually like in contrast to my expectations. But just something to be prepared for if you read it, you have to trust Forster and go with it when he seems to skip over things and maybe leave you a little confused as to what all is going on. But it does become clearer as the novel wraps up. One other thing, too, that made the book feel to me like the work of a younger writer was the way Forster handles his symbolism. The, the imagery of different kinds of space that I mentioned before, rooms versus views, he directly says in the book that different people are like rooms with or without views. And, you know, while that's kind of an odd comparison that takes some unpacking, it seemed just a little heavy-handed to come out so blatantly and have characters actually compare one another to something as offbeat as kinds of rooms. I don't know. The, the approach just seemed rather overt, in my opinion, rather than trusting his readers to make those connections for themselves. So let's take some time to consider the novel's themes. Probably the most obvious question Forster is exploring is one I already referenced earlier. Should we faithfully adhere to 
all social conventions, or are they restricting or arbitrary or even hypocritical in different ways? Should we disregard them? And if so, will we find a freer, more fulfilling life? This is Lucy's struggle throughout the book, and different characters represent different answers to the question. Primarily, Lucy's chaperone, Miss Bartlett, and then her fiancé, Cecil Vise, in one way or another, portray faithfulness to social conventions. Now, this is 1908, and so already social expectations had shifted a little from their old strictness, but still these characters essentially fit that conventional mold. And both Miss Bartlett and Cecil attempt to control Lucy in different ways, politely, but they have expectations not only for themselves, but for her also, and she feels that pressure from them. On the other hand, you have a few different characters who are more willing to question the traditions, and most importantly, you have the Emersons, who are a bit outside social norms. Old Mr. Emerson is the most vocal, and he proclaims the value of truth and openness and of embracing nature and being willing to acknowledge and follow our natural desires. And that is where things get complicated, more complicated, I think, than, than Forster even admits. But these are the two ways that are presented to Lucy. And I'm not going to tell you which one she chooses, but it is that choice which defines the novel. Now, the other main theme I see is closely related because in many ways, Lucy's biggest obstacle throughout the book, the thing that makes it so hard for her to choose, is a lack of self-knowledge. She feels confused for pretty much the whole story. She, she feels a liking for the Emersons, and she also wants to avoid them. She appreciates Miss Bartlett, but she also gets annoyed by her. She refuses Cecil's marriage proposal twice before finally agreeing to marry him. So she just has a hard time figuring out what she really feels and thinks about things. So you get this theme throughout the novel of ignorance versus knowledge, or concealment versus honesty, darkness versus light. And I would say this is the strong point of the novel. I certainly don't agree with all of Forster's conclusions, but I think he shows insight into human nature when he depicts how easy it is and how paralyzing it is not to understand oneself. Lack of self-knowledge is a basic human problem. It's natural to avoid really digging down into our minds and souls and seeking to decipher what's going on there. It's much easier just to float, to go along with what other people do, or to follow our own surface feelings or the forces around us, to to be um, tossed to and fro by human scheming, as I think it says in, in Ephesians. Self-knowledge is difficult. You'd think 
if we are honest with anyone, we're honest with ourselves. But sadly, that is often far from true. In fact, myself is probably the easiest person for me to deceive. When I want to believe something, it's very easy to believe it. And to go back to Lucy, even if we don't go so far as to convince ourselves of something that is not true, it's still easier to remain in a kind of a vague, not believing anything state than it is to analyze ourselves and decide one way or another what we believe. And Forster makes this point well. Lucy is in a mental muddle for most of the book, and it takes someone else saying to her pretty directly, you have to choose. You can't live in a world of maybes. It's, it's yes or no. That's what it takes to pry her out of this easy, lazy mindset of avoiding conclusions. So I appreciate that about the novel. Forster, Forster at least makes the claim that truth is important and, and we need to acknowledge reality. However, he does not see reality the same way I do. Near the end of the novel, when Lucy is directly told that, that she has to choose, she must acknowledge the reality about herself, this is mostly in terms of she needs to admit her own deepest feelings. After this conversation, Forster actually writes that the person who spoke to her had, and this is a quote, had shown her the holiness of direct desire. Now, this troubles me. I don't know exactly what that phrase is supposed to mean, the holiness of direct desire, but it seems that Forster is communicating that to understand ourselves and get in touch with reality, we just have to get in touch with our own desires. And I strongly disagree with that. Uh, my understanding of reality is far bigger than that. It's connected to something, well, someone outside myself. When you try to define reality by human desires, you're going to get a very ugly picture. By and large, our desires are selfish by nature. They are changeable. They are not to be trusted on their own. But A Room with a View attempts to suggest that honest, deep desires are, are somehow inherently true and trustworthy and good, even, even kind of eternal and holy, right? That's what he says. This is a big problem in my mind. I, I think every one of us can attest to having felt desires and not just passing whims, but strong desires that were not good. They might have been real in the sense that we truly felt them, but they're deceptive when they make us want something bad. The desire to get back at someone who hurt us or to serve ourselves at someone else's expense. Desires for things that will harm us, even destroy us. Forster himself 
I, I won't go into this, but if you look at his life and some of his other writings, you can see that he was no different from the rest of us in, in having such desires. So, I would challenge this idea, the holiness of desire. And I think from a Christian worldview, you cannot accept natural human feelings as your basis for reality. They may connect to reality in certain ways, but they're not its foundation. So, that said, I appreciate Forster's emphasis on the importance of self-knowledge and knowledge of reality, but unfortunately, he conflates the two. He makes self, in many ways, the definition of reality, whereas I think the opposite is true. We have to wrestle with a reality outside ourselves, an absolute eternal reality, and from there, we can then analyze ourselves um, and conform to that bigger reality. And, you know, I have to go back to Henry James's A Portrait of a Lady briefly, because these two books are connected thematically, um, but they choose such different paths by the end. Both heroines are faced with a false dichotomy, a, a supposed choice between following strict social conventions and being miserable, or following their desires and finding freedom and happiness. But the world does not actually work that way. Doing just whatever we want does not actually lead to freedom and happiness, and doing what others want us to do does not necessarily preclude freedom and happiness. And while Forster and his hero in Lucy think they have a valid dilemma and you have to choose one of the two given options, James and his heroine realize that it's truly an artificial dilemma and that there are other options. Henry James's novel is much more aware of deeper meanings and consequences and responsibilities, and just the realities of life and relationships. A Room with a View, I think, is more simplistic and unfortunately less honest, whether Forster realizes it or not. Anyway, sorry, I've got to stop talking about A Portrait of a Lady. This is Forster's episode, not James's, and I just need to give A Portrait of a Lady its own episode sometime, because there's so much I love about that book. So, would I recommend A Room with a View? I have been fairly critical of the book so far, but I, I do want to reiterate, it is a light novel. It is meant, I think, to be more or less a comedy. So, I probably went into it demanding more from it than I should have. And Forster does make a great point about how easy and how dangerous it is to avoid self-knowledge, and I, I want to give him full credit for that. However, he makes some other points that I, I strongly question. So, if you're interested in Forster as a writer, or if you're interested in this transition happening in the early 20th century, when people were starting to call into question the old ways and try to explore a new, less confined approach to life, then this is a valuable read and an enjoyable one. But if those topics don't necessarily interest you, then 
it might not be worth your time. Either way, I don't think I would put a room with a view high on my recommendation list. That said, I certainly found some of Forster's ideas to be intriguing in many ways because I disagree with them, and so I hope this discussion of the book's characters and themes has been thought-provoking for you as well. Thank you so much for listening today. A quick look ahead in episode nine next week, I'm looking forward to sharing with you about Marilyn Robinson's novel, Gilead, which is this gentle, gracious kind of book with such a unique way of telling its story. So I hope you join me for that discussion in episode nine. And until then, have a great week.